Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sit next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan. Hey guys, thanks for coming back. And just like always, if you see something in this episode that resonates with you or that you feel like you need to share out to somebody, don't be selfish with the information. We ask that you uh, go ahead and share that out. Over the past 12 to 18 months, the Marine Corps has had some devices remarks penned about it concerning the adaptation of the force. Retired generals and warfighters have been expressing concern over the new force design. There are several articles bashing the new design and others that just show passive-aggressive concern. I was interested in understanding the why behind some of these changes, so I began to investigate the topic. I found a few articles from one of the most senior gunners currently serving in the Marine Corps, Gunner LaRose served as one of the representatives from the Marine Corps for the Pentagon's Close Combat Lethality Task Force. While reading his works, I was impressed by the way he painted new technologies. I was going to do an episode on the information that I found, but Gunnar LaRose can do a much better job of that than I can. This episode is my aim at bridging the two sides of the coin. After protecting the nation for 30 years and making his way close to uh, all the way up to being a gunner, uh, LaRose has continued to serve. Sir, I thank you for your time and efforts along the way, and I spent my life in service and, you know, consequently, as it turns out, out of service, trying to emulate men like Stephen LaRose. Sir, thanks for coming out. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we're honored to have you on the show. Hey, thank you, brother. I'm, I'm honored and privileged to be here with you. <laughs> well, it is mutual. The feeling is mutual for sure. Um, I think we'll talk, uh, we talked offline about kind of where we were going to go, but before we get there, I want to know, you know, kind of how we got here. So I kind of want to know family culture growing up, you know, where you come from, um, you know, parents in the home, siblings, sports, religion, and what we'll kind of stem off of that. And then we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, I appreciate it, Ryan. Um, you know, I've watched some of your podcasts in the past. Um, I've been able to travel a little bit, so I obviously listen to them as well. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been able to, to take a look at your background, too, and, and understand you had a good, strong background in sports that you're passing on to your family, uh, to your children, especially with softball and baseball. Uh, you know, so I, I'm going to use that as kind of the springboard into the into my upbringing, which was the same way. You know, sports teach kids things in life. It's, it's not only just winning and losing, but teamwork and a lot of other associated, you know, social needs to be a productive adult. Mm. Um, so... You know, I come from a very similar background when it comes to sports, and right now I have those children doing the same thing. But going further back, some of my some of my heroes, some of the things that really drove me was, um, you know, uh, my you know, I'll, I'll first shoot at my mother. Um, you know, she was the first person that that I can remember that really showed me what true courage was and commitment to her children um, when she when she left my my father, and she went on her own, knowing that she needed to pick a better path. And, uh, and that was the right thing to do, see somebody commit to the right thing and see somebody have to fight through adversity. I saw that at a young age and I saw that with my mother. She was committed to doing the right thing. She was committed to take care of her children. 
So she she decided to do it on her own in, in a period of time when, you know, that was being a single mom was tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to want to say right there, watching my mother go through the struggles really begin to codify what I thought was most important in life, you know, mm-hmm. taking on those challenges. Now, of course, a, a big transition in my life, she went on and met the man, uh, her soulmate and married a Marine. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he was a, a Korean War veteran. And he okay. was a sergeant of joined in 1947, you know, was casualty, returned home in 1951 uh, during the Korean conflict. Um, and that man is the man that raised me. So, you know, from a very young age, so you could, you know, talk about call to service. I think it starts, it starts right here with the injection of a, of a, of a, of a man with, with, with a foundation in the Marine Corps. For sure. Um, for sure. Oh, you know, amphibious background. He was a Marine by trade, uh, and then became a professional fisherman. So I grew up on the water and, uh, and so early mornings and late nights weren't anything new, spending all that time on the water, um, understanding the ways of the water, weather, nautical navigation and those things uh, yeah no and uh and so the man that raised me uh my dad he uh being a former marine i remember as a child uh we went to uh to collect up some some customers some some clients that we were taking out on a fishing trip and it was five in the morning um we made it to the diner to meet the uh, the clients and all of a sudden there there became news you know yeah you know big news news announcements and uh, it was everywhere the tv changed you know it was and it was the uh, beirut bottom mm-hmm. and uh and my dad i've never my dad was a tough man he was tough i mean he lived the marine corps mantra outside the marine corps as much as he did when he was in the marine corps um and when he saw these news releases these flash news reports coming out of beirut lebanon um we looked at the folks in the in the uh, theater in the diner and he immediately canceled the trip and uh said can't go out uh, we have to, you know, too much. Of, I got to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we gave a much better explanation. I'm paraphrasing big time. He gave a better explanation. But we jumped back in the truck and went went home. And on the way home, he had the radio up. He's listening to the news reports coming out of Beirut, Lebanon. Um, and this is the first time I ever saw my dad cry. Mm-hmm. And uh, he only cried twice in my lifetime. Um, and this was one of them. And so I watched this man um, listening to these news reports rush home. He didn't leave the home. Uh, for two days until he knew exactly what had happened to the Marines uh, in Beirut, Lebanon. And as I watched him, this is where the hook was set, to be honest with you, why I became a Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, after, you know, a, a man that got discharged from the Marine Corps in the mid-1950s due to wounds in combat, and he was still so connected to those mm-hmm. brothers on the battlefield mm-hmm. uh, that, that tears came to his eyes. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I got to I gotta be a part of that. I got to be... <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what that is. How, where does that come from? And what is it? Because I want, I want to be part of a brotherhood, a part of a family um, that I don't, yeah, I wouldn't even be a part of it, but all the way I'd be able to affect me like that. Yeah. Um, so I think the call to service, as we talk about uh, that, it began right there. I knew, I knew right then I was going to become a United States Marine. I just didn't know when mm-hmm. and in what capacity, um, you know, our athletic background. Um, I was on spring break after three years of college and joined with a buddy uh we joined the buddy program of course he was the furthest thing from an athlete he was uh he was going to to college as a automotive tech and uh he was getting his degree in automotive technician and him and i got drunk on spring break and joined the marine corps after watching full metal jacket (laughs) i mean it doesn't get any better than that of course 
out. Um, and it can go from there. But that was kind of my call to service right there. And, uh, and that's how it all began. Yeah, that's wild. You know, um, I'm well after you generationally, you know, coming in. And most of the guys, when I interview them, it's 9-11 is generally the call to service. And then so I've interviewed some old, you know, some some people older than me now and uh, different wars than me even. And their calls to service are they, they seem to always have some sort of imprint, though. Like it might not have been 9-11, but somebody imprinted on them in some kind of deep way. And in this case, that's an amazing story. And, uh, you know, it kind of it reminds me of a lot of the way um, not we don't have to go too far into it. But when the Marines got killed at H. Kaya. And, you know, in the corpsman, like, I felt like I hurt. And it was weird. I didn't know any of them. And that was the first time since I'd been out that we had taken, you know, a, you know, a blow like that. And it, like, just, you know, it, I felt a blow the wind out of me. Just like, ah. Oh. And you can't. It, it doesn't stop, seemingly. So, You know, I, I felt like my dad on, on the day that, that, that those Marines were killed at H. Kaya. You know, I cried. I openly yeah. cried. I didn't leave the house. Um, you know, but it was also an exclamation point on all our sacrifices, you know, Ryan pushing to Marja, um, and the fight in Marja, with, mm -hmm. with Cuba, you know, we dropped you, we dropped you in the center of the city and said, hold up, we'll get to you when we get to you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, in a fine, in a fine, uh, even in a fine Marine fashion, you know, it said, perfect. We're surrounded. Now we can shoot in all directions. <laughs> That's uh, right. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, and, that, and as you're, you're, platoon commanders back then, Lieutenant Franco and Lieutenant Emmanuel really did embrace Major Emmanuel. Embrace Amazing. the warfighter mantra. My God, you guys had some some young warfighters with you. Um, it all goes back to, you know, how you felt at H High as well and the way I felt. You know, I you know, we know what that means, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. We now know, I know what my father felt. I know why Marines past and present feel the way we feel. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't like it doesn't to me, it didn't hit me. You know, I knew I had feelings about guys I lost and experiences I had. And that makes sense to me. You know, I just never felt it for guys I didn't know like that before. And then when it happened, it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's, you know, it's yeah. your brothers. You don't have to know them, but it's your no. it's your people. Yep. And, uh, you know, they come from our tribe. That's us. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think what Amer the American people, sometimes I feel like when Saving Private Ryan was released, you know, I think those the, when they landed at the beach and the, and the war fighting that was occurring, you know, I don't think America, the American public necessarily needs to see that. You know, you and I as war, war fighters, the things we've seen, the things we've done, you know, the biggest, the biggest enemy to war fighting is, is a camera. Um, however, I think at H. Kaya, I think when HBO special show the brutality of trying to keep security mm. you know there has to be tough men and women that have to do tough things mm -hmm. that's a fact you know i was always a kind of um of the same i was of the same view that cameras are bad um but i you know i don't know i don't know about that i i, I feel like the whole reason i did this podcast is because i feel like we maybe even have junior and freshmen congressmen and women that don't even think war's real they're so insulated from it like the united states and it's kind of like a beautiful thing they are so free that they don't even understand the blanket of freedom that they have they don't even understand where it comes from because they don't have to and it's like yeah that's good but once you get to a point where your civilian run congress is voting on your budget 
and they keep slashing it over and over and over, it's, it can only be one thing. It can only be because they just don't think that's real. Because if they thought that was real, that is the number one thing that you don't cut. And so, and so that was kind of my thrust to come on here is like, if I show enough of these dudes that have been there and enough of these guys that have made it through the ladder and to the top and let them tell their stories, then at least the listening audience, however big that may get, they will know that it's real. And maybe that'll go somewhere. You know what I got out of it, Ryan? One of the most important things, even as we march into Forest Design 2030 and we move forward, is that you know the, the the agreement between the american people and the united states marine corps you know always ready uh prepared to do what what america asks of it mm-hmm. you know a lot of our predecessors as you meant the debate goes on about whether or not the marine corps is going to be that fight tonight force whether it can really win in the future you know at the end of the day if we create the right person and that's when we'll get into training and human performance and the individual mm-hmm. if you create the right person you create them with the right mindset i don't care where you send them you know they're going to win mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh and now it's just up to us to take care of that. So I think the H. Kaya HBO special is very important to a lot of our predecessors. I think the Marine Corps is getting weak, mm-hmm. that the Marine Corps is not, we're not producing Marines. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd say, you know, when you need to flip that switch, uh, to this day, I can take a young man or woman, make them a United States Marine. Why flip that switch? They can become savages on the battlefield. Yeah. And yeah. they will do, and they will do things for the love of each other. And for the love of service, for the love of God, and for, for the love of the country, they will do brutal things. Mm. And very important that we take care of them when they get back. Very important. Very important. All right. Well, let's let's kick into your service then. So um, year-wise, when do you come in? You know, you said the spring break of your yeah. third year? Yeah, 1993, I joined the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, you know, post, you know, Gulf War, first Gulf War. Um so I joined in 1993. So, you know, I say that out loud and it doesn't seem that long ago for me, uh, but it certainly, you know, echoes that I've been in coming up on my 30th year. A hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so were you East Coast or West? You know, I'm an, I'm an SOI East grad. Okay. So I'm East Coast and, and I'll talk a little, it's kind of funny, you know, when I was the SOI West Regimental Gunner, it was the first time I'd ever been stationed on the East Coast, and, and I don't want to jump around my career too much, but um, I went to a 1st Marine Division meeting at the time. Gunner Vince Kaiser was the, the, the division gunner, and all of his battalion gunners were sitting in there, and everyone that's on the West Coast to try to align all efforts, you know, unity of effort. And uh, came to me, and he's like, well, we don't expect you to be able to add much, Steve. You're an East Coaster. <laughs> it's always like that. It always comes down to it. You didn't hike the hills, whatever. I don't know. I didn't hike the hills, and I probably wouldn't have liked it. But no. I, la- I land nabbed in in Jacksonville, so that's not you know, fun. Those conversation, Ryan. You know it. You know I'm out there, and you have the Marines marching up the Alpha Shelf. And first time I went up the Alpha Shelf, and I called Camp Lejeune. I said, I think I can see you from here. <laughs> um, but as much as they have the hills, they're terrified of a January, February at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. We're oh so yeah, tired. it's 36 degrees. It sucks. And it's just horrible, right? So, um, you know, we both share, have shared hardships just in different ways. You know, that That's right. shop and stuff's painful. But on that same note, they they certainly don't want to spend a January, February camp in Carolina. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it. I love the little intramural squabbles. It kind of like if you have nothing else to hate on, you can just hate on each other and and keep yourselves warm through through whatever it is you're going through. <laughs> 
you know, it's, it is, and it keeps us all, it keeps us all warm uh, when it's really freezing. It keeps you out of boredom when you have nothing better to do when you're all That's sitting right. there for a ride, right? That's right. Um, so it's all good stuff. So yeah, 1993, I joined the Marine Corps and I was, and, and to go through the service very rapidly, I was meritoriously promoted out of auto recruit training. I was meritoriously promoted out of SOI. And I say that to set the conditions that the minute I got to the fleet, I was then thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, cause I was truly indoctrinated in the United States Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, we were out at a bar, um, after, a, after a, a CACS combined arms exercise in, in the, in the summer of 94. And, uh, you know, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina offers challenges just like the West Coast. And there were a lot of biker gangs down there mm. and uh, good folks, but also some bad folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a Marine getting beat just furiously in a, in an alleyway. And uh, so we saw it, we all looked at each other and said, well, leave no brother behind can't have that so we marched you know into the into the alleyway to get him uh we didn't want to let him go and so that turned into you know and it bled into the bar and and uh so as i was as being read my rights after after the police showed up we were you know uh 60 days was what i was sentenced in onsel county jail for assault battery and oh my god everything but you know I, i got back to the marine corps and this is what's great about the marine corps you know, at first, you know, the first sergeant's like, you know, I had to go to a first sergeant to request leave to go to jail. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you can only imagine how that conversation went. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. You got to, you got to request leave to go to jail. And he's like, you know, if you're not here Monday. We're just going to charge you away. So you're going to get, not only you going to jail in town, but the minute you get released from where he's going to throw you in the break. And, uh, so I got out of jail in town and, and it was a Saturday morning real early. And uh, I go on base on Saturday and I'm just waiting for PMO, like, yep, I'm going. And they're like, no, well, probably Monday morning then. Monday morning formation, PMO. Monday morning formation comes, they're like, Rose, report to the, the battalion offices. And that, that's it, right? And thinking, there we go. Transfer over to the break. And uh, go up and, uh, and the company commander drags me up to the battalion commander's office, go front and center. And he just looks at me, he goes, he goes, uh, we know what you did and why you did it. I've been out of my office and I simply got a page 11 for failure, failure to follow a Liberty order. Um, because what we did was what we were taught to do. Leave no Marine behind. Leave mm-hmm. never leave mm-hmm. a Marine behind. And uh, the battalion commander understood that and he knew why. And so once we got back, you know, it was kind of honored in some respects, you know, within the ranks, you know, when you're in the trenches, and you've got guys you know that are going to fight for you. That means something. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the battalion commander, who was a then Lieutenant Colonel D.J. Halick, who then went on to become the Lion of Najaf, as your book uh, in Iraq would, would indicate from Lions of Marja. You know, he was a true warfighter, went on mm-hmm. to become the first CG of Marsoc. So he truly understood why. And so I was blessed, I was blessed to be surrounded by warfighters at the time when I stumbled. Mm. Um, and may have made a bad decision. I think it was the right decision, uh, but it, I didn't take the pack off. And the reason why I want to bring that up is at no time with the meritorious promotions, I get in trouble, right? You had that, that little hitch in the, in the road. You don't take the pack off. I kept my pack on one multiple meritorious promotion um, boards after that. Couldn't get promoted because I was on a non-promotional list. Uh, we added in there, you know, wins meritorious promotion, but can't be promoted due to you know, you know, still non-promotable for 12 months. <laughs> but the point was, is that you never take your pack off. You stay yeah, focused. Drive on. 
Yep. And then after that first enlistment, you know, we used to have a good tradition in the Marine Corps that your first enlistment, you can make a few mistakes, learn from it. As long as you learn mm-hmm. and you're a repeat offender, repeat offender of folks who don't learn. I don't have time. No one has time for folks who just don't learn your lesson. Yeah. So we learned the lesson first four year evaluation was, was allowed to reenlist and never looked back. Never got in trouble again. But I think that, that really, that really kind of set the conditions of who I was and, and what that meant to stand to your moral ground, the things the Marine Corps taught us. You know, I had a formation with a regimental sergeant major. It was all Marines that had been in trouble. And I looked at the regimental sergeant major. He goes, dang it, they're dragging us down. This is the 10%. It takes up 90% of my time. And I said, sergeant major, have you ever been in trouble? Have you ever been thrown in jail or been in trouble? He's like, heck no. I'm a picture perfect Marine. I said, well, then just sit here and wait. Maybe I should talk. Yeah, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> he didn't know what to say, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but again, <laughs> it, you know, one of the things you as an NCO, when you're in the trenches, one, you got to relate, you got to be trusted. Yeah, that's a fact. Right. Especially and, if you're going down range. Yep. And uh, so I think those traits were brought out early. Um, that was the foundation for me continuing on and, and, uh, and going on. You know, I was an instructor at Scout Sniper School. I represented the Marine Corps two years uh, at the International Sniper Com- Competition in Fredericton, Canada. Um, went on to be the honor grad of, of Advanced Scout Sniper School, Ranger Airborne School, the honor grad of Airborne School. How was uh, that? How was how was the Army School? You know what? Um, it, again, parochial. It was fun and bad, and you know, because they they want to mess with Marines just just as much as we yeah, want to, yeah. you know, go back and forth. So the, the and you're outnumbered, I would assume, since it's their school, right? Like drastically. Yeah. You know, we're doing our swimming in first phase, you know, in the ranger assessment phase and, and having to do your swim quals. And um, this young soldier, who, they were all terrified because they don't spend much time in the pool. You know, we at least in the training and stuff, we got to go live in a pool for a little while. So we're, we're at least, a, 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 you know, associated to it and, and comfortable to a point. Well, they threw this kid out and he's puking and he's covered and the, the ranger instructors are screaming at him. And I start laughing, but I'm six foot six. So when I started laughing, I couldn't hide. They were like, oh my God, our head's laughing, get him in here. You know, so my my swim qual took a two and a half hours, which only took 20 minutes if I just wouldn't have, if I just wouldn't have laughed. She just yeah. held that bearing. <laughs> <laughs> Lost it two and a half hours in the pool later. And I'm like, okay, you guys win, that was tough. Yep, I'm uh, done. I won't laugh anymore. <laughs> that was good. So, great experience. You know, I love my Army brothers. I think it's one of the reasons why I spent so much time on the Close Combat Lethality Task Force and when we get there. Um, I, have a, I have a lot of respect for our warfighting brothers. You know, and we talk about our experiences in combat and, you know, Ramadi in Iraq. We had the, the one three BCT and the first and the ninth on the on the opposite side of Ramadi. And uh, and then they got the call. They were told they were going to extend their tour to 18 months. Okay, so you're in hell on earth and you think 12 months was too long. And then you get the phone call that you're now going to extend it eight to 18 months. I don't know how they do it. Place on Earth. So when I went out to the first to ninth, you know, we do border border crossings to make sure we skew those lines for the enemy. And uh, I was with a group of the first to ninth, probably about the 14th or 15th month into their combat tour in hell on Earth. And uh, they were like ghosts, right? I mean, they were beat down, and they were they were. And you want to talk about a thousand yard stare? That look of you know, I've I've checked out. Meaning. Mm-hmm. Well, mentally, you know, it, it, you know, when they say it doesn't matter anymore, you know, the look on their face is I can get shot right now and it just doesn't matter. Make my day. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so those, those strong brothers that we've had to serve with shoulder to shoulder in the army, um, you know, I, I, I can't say enough. So there's a lot of ranger experiences, a lot of, you know, Gunny Oaks, 2001 Marine won the best ranger competition with his partner. And his, his famous quote was, 
Um, you know, Rangers are just like Marines. They just walked in the wrong door when they were recruited. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Now, um, at what, at what point did you decide you wanted to be a gunner? You know, um, you know, being a small unit guy for as long as I was, I, I began to fear at the rank of gunnery sergeant what was going to happen to me. Because even as a gunny, I was still in charge of small infantry units. Mm -hmm. So um, at the rank of gunnery sergeant, I began, started to get concerned. And uh, then I met my first gunner, um, Gunner Cargyle in combat, Cannon Cargyle. Met him in combat for RCP-6. And everyone's like, hey, I wanted to do some, some pre-op mission prep. So we wanted some live fire training. He's like, you go ask the gunner for that. And I'm like, who in the hell is going to approve my ammo? Who do I need to convince, you know, gunnery sergeant who's been doing this for a while? You know, and then I had to go to his office, march in there with my plan and explain him my plan so I wasn't wasting any valuable ammunition. And uh, I was like, when I left there, I was wild. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't know who that guy was, but I want to be that, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, and so I put my package in, and while I was deployed in combat in Iraq, I was selected. But that, that was, uh, I met my first gunner um real you know that i understood the interaction i'd seen one as a private a pfc was sure. walking lines. he had a corn cob pipe and red suspenders and no and i'm like why is the, the staff sergeant not beating him to death? because he has no blouses and red suspenders and smoking a corn cob pipe and uh and i had no clue who he was and of course as a lance corporal my interaction was very limited except for i, I said hey gunner and before I could get hey gunner out of my mouth, I had a finger in my eye and it was a gunnery sergeant. And they're like, that's a sir to you, you scumbag. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, so, that, so I can't really say I knew exactly what the heck he was because I didn't get that opportunity. But yeah, my interaction yeah. with uh, Gunner Cargyle and then later Gunner Nick Vitale, you know, I, I mean, hooked. Because now that he was, got me. you know, that's, you want to stay in the infantry, you want to stay war fighting. First Sergeant, Master Sergeant, Sergeant Major, Master Guns, and you get so many more MOSs when you become a Master Sergeant. You have to, you have to learn and grow to fight under canvas and command and control battalions. First Sergeants and Sergeant Majors need to grow administratively. They have to be able to manage manpower mm -hmm. and really have the managerial skills to do that. And then, of course, I saw the gunner, and he was on every live fire range. He was worried about ammo. He was worried about tactics. He was worried about small unit employment. He was worried about combined arms. He was concerned about weaponeering. Um, and I'm like, well, there it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the top. That's definitely what being a gunner would have been my path that I would have tried to go to. I think it like it allows you to grow in the Marine Corps and grow older, but still stay right with the guys and involved in the tactics and the movement. Because like after I think after sergeant, you go to staff sergeant, depending on if you're in the regular line, you're moving away after after you take a squad and, and the new force design will be different, but you start to move away a bit from the troops. And that's what I hated about, you know, after that you're moving away. If you go back to the gunner route or the master sergeant route, you're coming back and at least having an impact or, you know, an influence on what's going on with the war fighting. So it's amazing. I knew, um, I don't know, but I had several talks with gunner Vitali. Uh, in like the 2011-12 time frame, and he was the most belligerent person I ever met in my life. But it was the first real like big contact I had with a gunner, and it was like, yeah, I want to be that. I don't know what what he's got, like how he's got this leverage or this power, but that's that's the spot. <laughs> yeah, well, Gunner Vitale was an angry man, right? I mean, and he was angry. And, very. Uh, you know, gunners have a very rich tradition of being angry, um, so. You know, sometimes because we can get, because we're so passionate, we are true believers, right? And true mm -hmm. believers in the warfighters. 
And uh, so Gunner Vitale was a perfect example of, you know, one of the most brilliant gunners when it came to weaponeering. He understood the employment of weapons. He understood, he wrote, um, he, he wrote a manifesto leading the Marine Corps on, on fire team leaders and, and how it all ties together. And that manifesto I, is unbelievable. And, uh, and I'll pass it on to you, Ryan, just to see, because you mentioned Gunner Vitale, the brilliance of this man. Mm, I'd love uh, to read it. Yeah. And, and now the, the point being is that here we are after he's retired for God knows how long he did that manifesto. It means more today, what he wrote, than it did then. Mm-hmm. That, that's when you know you have true brilliance because they're looking toward, you know, bleeding edge. Transcends time. Yeah. Why is he so committed to this small unit? Why mm-hmm. is he so committed to being able to articulate how this all ties together at the smallest unit level mm-hmm. for fighting? And uh, brilliant, brilliant gentleman. I, I, my, my, I learned every time I came across him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would give talks. Uh, he gave a couple talks when um, when I was in combat instructor course, and uh, like about being pinned down, about you know, I, I guess there was a lot of you know things coming back from like Marja and Tre- Marja Treknaw was Sangin, and like I was there when some of it happened. We had what like you had one guy digging a IED in a hole, and somebody, you know, some commander somewhere, one of them calls a Harrier in on him. And and I remember like Colonel Christmas blowing up in the COC about why did we just drop a bomb on one guy and like going through this whole method. And then when we come back, I'm sitting in McKick and he's like giving an ass chewing or a lecture, however you wanted to look at it, about using too big of munitions on like, you know, not the right targets, how we should be closing on these guys or sending a squad out to interdict that or a sniper team and not calling a Harrier. And uh, at first in the in the beginning of the conversation, I was like, ah, whatever. And then by the end of it, I'm listening to him. I'm like, no, this makes sense. This is like I've seen this with my own eyes. He's he, he's just as angry as the colonel was that day, you know, when somebody let one loose. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. He's a, He had an impact on me. I'm sure he had an impact on a lot of people. He was a, he was a real one. That's for sure. And in my career path, you know, I ended up winning this Holbrook trophy over my shoulder and I'm honored to have that. The reason why is because it, it, it was while I was serving with the first battalion, ninth Marines, um, at the final combat deployment, um, before we rolled up the guide on, put that away. So being part of walking dead, being a dead walker, um, that's huge to me. Being a part of that team was huge to me. Colonel Corey Collier, um, and, and that whole group was unbelievable. And, and uh, a lot of memories, a lot of gray hair and a bald spot and receding hairline at that deployment. Um, but I can't say enough, and it, and it really symbolizes to me, you know, as we were closing out, it was the first time I heard this, Ryan, and, you know, as you did the push into Marja, 1st Battalion, 9th Marines was the last infantry, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines followed us up, but everyone knew it was all about withdrawal, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being on the battlefield. And for the first time ever, I heard Marines, you know, going condition one, leaving the wire, and they'd echo, damn it, I don't want to be the last Marine killed in Afghanistan, right? Yeah. I mean, we were at this point in the conflict because the fighting still was so bad. Mm. People were like, oh, we're drawing, we won the battlefield. We didn't win. Down in Helmand Province, um, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, the the level of fighting that was still going on as we were withdrawing, I don't, I think would shock the American mm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so Marines are leaving the wire knowing they are going to get in a, in a fight every day, a, a, a serious fight. And now the mentality, because we're leaving and they know we're leaving, 
You know, I don't want to be the last Marine killed in Afghanistan. Was mm-hmm. that uh, was was the beginning of that that mentality um, as we watched the tea leaves, you know, point in our direction out of it. Yeah, it's an interesting um, that's an interesting mindset, but. Yeah, definitely in Afghanistan. I know towards the end of every deployment, every combat deployment, you know, that I did, guys would get, you know, giddy the last 30 days or, you know, sometimes it would go all the way to three weeks, the last three weeks. And then everybody wanted to like, not everybody, but you had a good portion of guys like, uh, we shouldn't go all the way out to that checkpoint. It's like, no, we still have to go all the way out to that checkpoint. We still have to do our job for the last two weeks, but there is that mindset of, man, we're way too close. You know, because you don't want to get clipped at the end of it. Then you went through all of that shit and you still got clipped. If you want to get clipped right in the beginning, if you're going, that's kind of what we established. Yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> right now it'll, this will kind of stem into the, as we get into force design, uh, my current my current boss, uh, General Kyle Ellison, other Marine Corps warfighting lad, he's tasked for IBX 2.0, which is the next infantry battalion experimentation, mm-hmm. you know, Second one, we really got to get an 80% solution. We really have to nail this one down that it's an operationally functional concept to pass on to the op board or at least to the commandant for, for solid decisions where he is confident that an 80% solution has been found. But he was my, the battalion commander for 2-6. He ripped with you guys, uh, okay. followed you up, and, uh, and I was the gunner that came in just after him because I was your gunner for a short period of time before I had a near-death accident that took me out of it. And then I returned back to the third battalion, ninth Marines. But on the last week of the rip, he lost a Marine Lance to the Scott Weapons Company. And 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 I think it affected third battalion, ninth Marines as much as it affected second battalion, uh, sixth Marines. Because as you just stated right there, no one wants to get clipped, you know, three to five days after the hell you've gone through. Mm-hmm. And and I, it, you know, of course, the Marines were two six. Their brothers, it's like, uh, you know, very close. You know the, the the horror of that thought that Lance Corporal Scott just had that happen. The third battalion, ninth Marines coming in, thinking right to the last day we could be going down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're getting hit on their first day on their rip. Yeah, essentially, yeah. So, we had that happen in Marshall. That'll echo. And General Kyle Allison, these war fighters that we have today are just unbelievable, Ryan. Leaders in the United States Marine Corps. You know, and it, it takes my you know it hurts a little bit to watch our forefathers that we take that we respect so much. You know. God, we respect our forefathers. They've done amazing things. Mm. But our current general officer community, and I know Stu Scheller's looking for accountability and such, but I, and I know, I feel he needs to point that rifle on the right target, but we can talk a little bit more about that. But these current warfighters in the Marine Corps, Lieutenant General George Smith out there in one map, and, and Bill Journey, and and, uh, and I can go on, Kyle Ellison's and the, and the Mark Klingons out there, um, all these general officers, Oh my God, are they war fighters, Ryan? Mm, mm. Our generational guys are going to write books about that were that that are that are equal to the forefathers, and they're just unbelievable war fighters and leaders. Mm. That, that you know, watching Secretary Mattis, I always said the first time I ever met Secretary Mattis, it was an accidental contact in shower trailer in, in Fallujah, Iraq. You know, Green recognized and asked him a question. That question turned into a two-hour PME with him in a towel. And I'll tell you, no one, it's it's that. It, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a vision that anybody really wants to have. A brilliant man, but I don't know if that Secretary Mattis in a, in a shower trailer in, in Fallujah. That's how committed our leaders were. Mm-hmm. That's how committed they are. Mm-hmm. You know, one Marine recognized him and asked a question. That man stopped for two hours in a towel and gave a PME on what the question was and he answered. Um, just unbelievable warfighters and leaders and, and leaders of men. Mm. Yeah, agreed. And um, so... 
I, I, I want to get into most, uh, you know, multiple things, and I don't want to cut you off uh, anymore. Can we talk about the setup contextually? Because there is a lot of divisive comments coming out. You have a lot of, you know, um, you know, lionized generals and they, you know, and former staff. And it's like, and I, and I get what they're saying. And are they just not doing the research to know why? And, and, and is there any way we can kind of fill the context in on why this force design was, I know we talked offline about Azerbaijan and Armenia and some of those conflicts that are basing these decisions. Can we get into that? Yeah. You know, Ryan, you and I talked just before we, we began uh, the podcast, you know, the first time I realized things were changing, changing dramatically in a near peer fighter, at least someone who had the, uh, the ability to fight back was the summer war in 2005, 2006, Southern Lebanon, when, when anti-tank guided missiles were proliferated with Hezbollah and it brought the Israeli army to a screaming halt. All those armor penetrations they were able to do relentlessly and without much friction um, and drive into Southern Lebanon, dominate the battle space, came to an end. Mm-hmm. And those anti-tank guided missiles, I watched that from Iraq and I'm like, yeah, things have changed on the battlefield. And and because we can proliferate tow missiles and, and javelin missiles and God knows from every other country out there, these, these capabilities, um, we watched it unfold in 2005 and 2006. Things changed, and then we move forward. To, and I and I and I like to. I want to jump over a lot of other things. But then the fight for Mosul, 2016 timeframe, 17 or small units. You know, our MARSOC operators, our special operators embedded with the Iraqis in the in the fight for Mosul. This mm-hmm. is the first time we saw huge UAS battling, um, loitering munitions, UASs. You know, these aren't new capabilities. They've been on the battlefield for a decade, uh-huh. and uh, and they're battle tested. So the fight for Mosul really began to codify the importance to me, UASs and loitering munitions. Sure. And then fast forward to the Nagorno-Karabakh war um, and, and that Azerbaijan, Armenian, Armenian example um, that truly took two relatively near-peer, mid-peer opponents that were somewhat equal um, and asymmetric advantage that technology gave um, Azerbaijan is and it's supplied by Turkey and Turkey to this day, you know, you see Ukraine using the TD2 and other technology. Turkey really took off with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if, if people weren't paying attention back in 2005, 2006, you know, I know the Marine Corps did because before force design 2030, general Neller went on a, on a, on a path of learning with force 2025. And he did sea dragon war fighting with third battalion, fifth Marines experimentation because he knew then, what we know now, but it was before the national defense strategy was written in 2016 mm. and released. So he was shooting at a dartboard, like, I know what's out there. I know what we have to do to survive and succeed and, and win. So General Neller really began this. Force 2025 was a rapid change coming out of Afghanistan. We saw guidons being being put away and new guidons being stood up. Mm-hmm. So in reality, General Berger was the deputy commandant for, well, really, he was out there in the Pacific as a commander, a senior commander, first one meth, and then PACOM out there, and our four packs and other areas. So he came from the Pacific to help General Neller as the deputy commandant for combat development integration, do the concepts, to get the equipment, to uh-huh. figure out Force 2025. And so really what General Berger did is just take what General Neller had or was trying to do. But what now General Berger had to work with when he became commandant was the national defense strategy provided to him by Secretary Max. Mm-hmm. So now he could look at what he needed to provide the Department of Defense mm-hmm. based on the guidance provided to him by the secretary mm-hmm. and then began 
the the learning path that was already built. Now it's now it's just refining, learning more, this passive iterative understanding experimentation and get there. Um, but it began way before General Berger. And and so he just had some things that General Neller didn't have at the time. And it, and I'll say the biggest thing was the national defense strategy provided by Secretary Maddox. Yeah, he, he needed the blueprint. So, he needed I, the blueprint. That's right. That's right. And so and this is just a continuation of Neller with the blueprint. Yes. Uh, from from Mattis. Yeah, and the beauty of this, and this is what's going to, which, you know, resonates between you and I because it's so important. You know, the national defense strategy pointed to near peer and then prioritized who you were competitors with. And, and, and now the new national defense strategy by Secretary Austin has just raised the bar towards China being the number one priority for the Department of Defense. So like any, you know, I, I just tell everyone, Marines have a horrible habit of doing what they're told. Hmm. Right? So the Commandant's been told, China is your number one priority. Figure out that problem. So as a good Marine, you know, they have the horrible habit of doing what they're told. We're going to figure that problem out. Yeah. Um, but when Secretary Mattis created the National Defense Strategy, he also pressed you undersecretaries of CAPE, the Cost Assessment Program Evaluation Group, which mm -hmm. is its section, to do a, a strategic portfolio review and examination of the close combat forces. Because he knew, hey, I know I need hypersonics and long-range fires, and I need these things that are going to defeat near-period artificial intelligence. But by forcing the services to look up, the most fragile units in the DOD remain to be the infantry. So I need to make sure that they're going to be taken care of because I've just told the services you need to go to near-peer competition. But on that same note, I have to worry about everything else as well. Mm -hmm, there's one for sure thing we do right, Ryan, is we pick the next war 100% wrong. Yeah. We, never, we never get the war we want, but we get the war we're given. Mm -hmm. So Secretary Mattis, through the Close Combat Strategic Portfolio Review, identified five major gaps in the Close Combat Forces and then stood up the Close Combat Lethality Task Force to close those gaps. And the reason why I, I bring this in with Force Design is because the efforts are closely aligned. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, nearly there is no almost no light between the two efforts with force design and the tact pushing capabilities out to the tactical edge, and what Secretary Mattis assigned the Close Combat Lethality Task Force to do, and, and what their mission was. So, the driving document for the the CCLPF is CAPE's Strategic Portfolio Review of the Close Combat Forces, um, a strategic document that says going into the future. This is what must happen to make sure our close combat forces are prepared to fight in the environment we expect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that all of the, that information and all of those adaptations thrust us into why the commando course is what it is. And can we talk about that? Yep. You know, I just left uh, the School of Infantry West last week. I was out there as we talk about the integration. I was out there at Project Convergence 2022, the undersec. The, the DSD, Deputy Secretary of Defense, um, his cat Hicks went out there to see it. All the, the Army, a lot of Army senior leadership was out there as well, as well as the Chief of Staff of the Army and the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Because what warmed my heart about this is PC-22 has been in the middle of the country. Um, it's been heavily Army Air Force involved. This is the first vignette, as far as I'm aware of, um, outside of you know some simulations and modeling, that was on the West Coast, Camp Pendleton, California, and it was faced out over the Pacific. So there were all of our joint partners at Camp Pendleton, California, looking out over the Pacific with our strong army partners that can bring to bear amazing capabilities. 
the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marine Corps all coming together under this experimentation to look at the problem that the NTS has directed them to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, it was heartwarming, Ryan. And, and right now, um, fight tonight capability, I'm confident from what I saw that that we can we can start, right? Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, but as of time now, that those folks as a, as a joint force, um, a lot of work still to do, got a lot of work. Um, but they are working hard to ensure that we are interoperable, that we're a joint fighting force. And so when I left out of there from PC-22 to go up to the mountains of School Infantry West up north, um, I was just so excited to see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the commando force, the Infantry Marines force, um, directed you know, by the Commandant of the Marine Corps to say, hey, take my force design, my commander's intent, and build a course. Um, and both IMC, SY East, and SY West went to work. Now, it all comes back to people, Ryan. People make things. And I, and I will submit to you that the good folks out at SY West just were, it was, you know, the right place, right time, right people to come up with this concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to those, the Gunny, the Gunny Burkharts and the Captain McConnells and the Lieutenant Colonel Harmons. But of course, um, uh, you know, Gunner A.J. Pashutin's played a key role in this. And I say the reason for this is because through the lens he looks at as a gunner, you know, he was a force reconnaissance Marine, um, was a, a, a reconnaissance training company, staff NCOIC, became a gunner. So when he looks at what entry-level Marines can do from the basic reconnaissance course, mm-hmm. reconnaissance training company, he asked the question with IMC, you know, we're building independent small units. We're being asked to get smaller, push capability out to tactical edge. What's stopping the infantry? So they went through an iterative process of understanding through looking through the rent, the lens that Gunner Pashuti and these open-minded Gunner Burkharts and Captain McConnells and, and those who all come before them and really came up with what I think, Ryan, is about a 70 to 80% solution. It's perfect yet. Now it needs legs, it needs time, right? And as you get more time and experience and exposure, you're going to know where to fix the little things. Mm-hmm. As far as where they are today, it's just unbelievable what they've been able to accomplish. I have uh, I've read some of your articles, and the one um, a view from the trenches was was eye opening. Um, and I'll let you speak on that a little bit. But if you can just tell me, I mean, you don't have to get too deep into it. If you know, if you're not, if you're not able to or don't want to, but what's different? Like, okay, so SOI or uh, infantry marines used to do this, and now when this goes through, what do they do? What's different? Yeah. I will tell you, Ryan, big updates, right? And, I, and they produce these wonderful things. You know, it's not a whim. This has been well thought out. They have battle books. So, for instance, the ITB West has created, you know, what was called the Blue Book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, you know, the Blue Book, that name has a historic relevance to what NCOs used to carry around to enforce rules and policies and things of that nature. Um, the things they come up with is, one, an infantry marine creed, right? We talk about the rifle creed, the marine sand. These things mean something. When I went through ranger school, before I could do anything that meant something good for me, I had to stand up and scream the ranger free verbatim at the top of my heart. When I went through sniper school, I had to, I had to, you know, at the top of my lungs, you know, talk about the mission of a Marine Scout sniper, you know, those definitions verbatim. Mm-hmm. When you go through reconnaissance training company, the basic reconnaissance Marine had to go through and scream a reconnaissance Marine Creed. Well, they said, well, this is a culture. The Marine mm-hmm. Corps has to have a strong infantry culture. So they created the Infantry Marines Creed, number one. So they have a creed, which you and I, as you know, we didn't have a creed when we mm. went through right. uh, SOI. They have standing orders like Rogers Rangers, like the, the, the Rogers Rangers, you know, rules, 
Mm-hmm, so they mm-hmm. have now the standing orders, but they're updated to technology. These aren't looking back to the 1700s. Right. They, they updated things. Like, for instance, um, your training is unique. So never post pictures of your training in the field or discuss it online. The enemy is constantly looking to learn about your skills. He will learn your skills from what you post, right? Mm-hmm. These are now tactical, cultural things that war fighters need to worry about every day. They talk about having cell phones in the field. This is the, the standing orders of rules, denying the GPS and, 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 and learning a map, right? So mm-hmm. they talk about all these technology index. So the new standing orders, the Rogers Rangers of 1770s, um, the 1780s, you know, now the Marine Corps has updated these things and said, hey, you just came civilian to Marine, welcome to the infantry, but now here's your life. You yeah. can't do things you used to do on social media. You certainly can. There's no restriction. But in this culture, you need to be warned what that means. What are your effects? Yeah. So the standing orders, um, and we'll get into a little bit more of the training, but you can see how we're starting to already begin to change the mentality, the culture. One, brings yeah. creed, standing orders that are relevant, not something from based off the 1780s, but built off those shoulders of experience mm-hmm. into the technology and the problems we have today about being jammed or spoofed or, or RF'd and, and, and found due to signature. They even talk about the signature reduction. They talk about the five marine traits. The school now talks about the four elements, the four pillars of being an infantry marine. And it starts with being amphibious, hmm. right? So spend, you know, when you and I finished recruit training, when we went to the school of infantry, we didn't go back to a pool. No. Uh, on the West Coast now, not only do they go back to a pool, but they have open ocean swims. Oh, wow. So you can imagine the infantry marine, how you know the confidence when you do these things mm-hmm. and you find yourself in these environments. You know, one they have to put them in the pool because still to this day, and I, there's there's an argument whether these facts are true or whether these numbers are false. That 20% of recruits coming out of recruit training, 20% still can't swim. So when they go to the school of infantry, and you're an infantry marine, and the focus is on amphibious skills because of the problem set of the future. Yep. You know, yep. where you're going to be in the water, you're going to be around the water. That's the future. You and I, we fought in deserts, right? The, the, where we are telling the Marines of the future to fight, it's going to be all water. Yeah. So they talk about, you know, the five traits, the focus on that. And one of the final focuses is critical thinking. They're not trying to make them um, platoon commanders or platoon sergeants or squad leaders. What they're trying to make them do is, is, observational based decision you mm-hmm. obviously see that going left is a problem and going right helps support the team then why in the hell are you going left mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff at entry level they're accepting more mistakes at the individual level because when you and i went through you know uh, you know it's almost like the forest gum you know shut up get down <laughs> yeah. look out board and you're like okay I, you know i just did eight weeks of shut up get down or shut up and dig and yeah. you're like, or I'll tell you when to stop. That's <laughs> big, right? Yeah. And uh, now there's a lot more critical thinking involved. They're they're forcing them, and it's and it's at the basic level. So going from a recruit where you weren't allowed to think until probably fourth grade, if you even ask a question, yeah, because we're trying to build a marine, instant willing obedience to all orders, respect for authority, self reliance, teamwork, those things that are being ingrained at entry level. Mm-hmm. What they're not doing in that process is making you a critical thinker. Well, now we have to make them critical thinkers. Yeah. So, and it's right. It's about right and not right. So even in the blue book, it talks about, you know, the most, the, the life you've chose, right? 
the standards, the Marine Corps values, the value of being an infantryman, um, much different than what you and I went through. And that's at a basic level and where it starts. Now the standard, I can't even begin to tell you, they have two new things, the infantry physical, phys physical assessment, IPA, and the infantry marksmanship assessment, two standards mm -hmm. for the infantry. If another commander out there wants, wants to put his Marines through it, there's never a restriction, but now your infantry Marines have to go through this. There's no third class PFT or rifle uh, marksman and, uh, and you're still can be an infantryman. That, you know, those days are gone. You yeah. know, so there's higher GT scores, higher physical fitness requirements, higher marksmanship requirements. You have to be a critical thinker, which isn't you just, you don't just do what you're told. You have to look and when you're told to shut up and get down, where is the best place to get down? It, right? it might not just be drop. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah, sure yeah. you give them privates at the time. You're like, you know, you begin to rush. You stop them in the middle of a rush and you're like, take a look at yourselves. And they're in the wide open when cover is no more than three feet away. Yep. They weren't doing basic critical thinking yep. of where they were going to rush to. Take that moment and think. Mm -hmm. So they're doing much better now doing that. But I think the biggest change, Ryan, is the focus on the instructor. And I can't say this enough, just like you were a squad leader. What makes great squads? Squad leaders, team sergeant, team That's what makes great squads. Mm -hmm. The individual has to know their job and be bought into that. But who makes them? The combat instructor at, at uh, SOI makes the new infantry room. And mm -hmm. they now have a moral contract with a student. And now they're broke down in squads. So one individual combat instructor will have his squad, his or her squad, and they'll go all the way through the training together. And now not only does that build that moral bond that, mm -hmm. that, but also now I'm building pyramids, right? Sergeants are all at the same rank, but not all of them are the same Marine. For sure. So if that squad's not performing well, but this squad's rocking it because this squad leader has been staying up late with his team, living with his Marines, teaching his Marines, this Marine, obviously on the pyramid, you build your own pyramid. Yeah. Right? Yep. about you? In the past, you know, combat instructors would walk from point A to point B, you know, if you were a podium instructor, you know, a lot of times your volume at the podium, he is the one that was able to scream the loudest. So he's probably the better combat instructor. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. so no, I like that. I think that's amazing. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it would. It, competition breeds results too. And it's going to do that for the NCOs that are leading them too. Um, I think some of the smartest Marines I, some of the smartest Marines I served with, like on my level, intellectually and tactically were, um, I, I ran into at the school of infantry as instructors, like those guys are good. And if they're in, and that gives a little bit of the pride too. So if I'm competing with my peers, that's going to force them to compete with each other and just moves everybody up. That's one thing I like about, um, I've, I've mentioned on the show before, not to kind of divert too much, but, um, about small elements, small elements are amazing because of that. And, um, Anyway, we can get back to it. We, we'll, we'll come back to small elements after this. Yeah, but you know, right there. So, so right at entry level, that bridge to the op or I think the only thing missing at this point to update, and it just makes things easier. You know, we grew up with IE drills, immediate action drills, and a lot of that becomes unit dependent because it's not really clearly defined what that is in mm. doctrine. You know, I think at one point or another, the Marine Corps has to really consider um, developing battle drills or just inheriting, you know, take the Ranger handbook and take the, the battle drills already designed, six alpha clear room, for an example, take them and just use them as the basic. Because mm -hmm. as Marines, the battle drill isn't the most important thing to me, but it's a start point. And it's yep. a great thing to be a civilian or recruit to an infantry Marine. 
and explain to them why the battle drill exists. You've got to be able to dominate the room, cut the corners. You have to be able to do these things, maintain fields of fire, you know, cover, you know, danger areas. But the most important thing is after you train that at entry level, and then the squad leader in the fleet now knows what the next step. And I think the next step is initiative-based tactics. And that came from Marines from third time, fifth Marines and the assault into the Fallujah uh, back in the 2004 timeframe. Mm. Uh, they built initiative-based tactics. And there's four elements to initiative-based tactics. And that truly is whether you're a good cohesive team, because a lot of it is applied communication or whether you have not had the reps and sets and you haven't grown together as a team. So yeah. the battle drill is just the start. People are like, oh my God, Gunner, you said battle drills, you're stopping me from being creative. No, I'm stopping you from ruining an expeditionary force that has to have common operational pictures, common operational understandings. Because when I enter a room based on the amount of clearing we may have to do, I may not have my first, second, and third fire team. Mm -hmm. I may have my first fire team but second and third fire team came from another squad or another platoon or another company because of the casualties we've incurred. So I'm offering that the battle drills give us the required common operational understanding, mm -hmm. but it's the initiative-based tactics which the squad leaders out in the fleet need to own. They need to understand those four elements, run the battle drill, and watch initiative-based tactics unfold in that team, and that tells me whether or not they're a cohesive, well-trained unit. Boom. Well, if you're a squad leader out there, just kind of put that in your pocket and make sure you're doing that right now. You don't want to, you don't want to get found out. Now, isn't there shooting packages uh, that are involved in this commando course that are much better? I'm hearing much better than than what they had before at SOI. Yeah, you know, Ryan, we're gonna go back to my career a little bit here. Um, I was the director of combat marksmanship programs um, in 2007. Started in 2017. What makes this weird is I was the first born and bred gunner as the director of combat marksmanship programs when we merged the programs um, from range officers mm -hmm. and, and and gunners range mm -hmm. officers in the way they didn't deploy and, and again they were good folks but, but they they focused heavily on nra competition style marksmanship and the marine corps famous for competition and uh, we would like to think it bled over to combat but i think everyone came back from combat and the same thing we're horrible at combat marksmanship horrible you know yeah. table one didn't relate didn't transcend over to the battlefield these things these fundamentals that you were teaching you were too slow when we we're moving this fast mm -hmm. but we had to change so um we created under mar admin 112.16 and table 2 alpha the commission by at the time of uh, gunner vince pope who was initially yep. a range officer during the merger he put the bomb on and we because he's a brilliant guy we kept him out there um he did a tour with uh with an infantry battalion but then, and we then became the director of combat marksmanship. Built Table Two Alpha. He also knew that we needed a better bridge to combat marksmanship. So when I took that job, I said, "That's not a big enough step. We don't. You're, we're half stepping into change." Mm -hmm. uh, so we completely retooled annual rifle qual, and you see a lot of that being written about how annual rifle qual changed. Table One at entry level. There isn't any better way to transition somebody from civilian to marine and teach them about a rifle and basic fundamentals. But there is where it needs to stop. Because now I, I think that you can do in a simulator. That trigger control and, and those basic fundamentals we teach, mm. those are all wonderful, um, but not anything I can't do in a simulator. We have to build off the shoulders of that. So we created annual rifle quality. And of course, as a gunner, it was focused on combat after we did a, 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 a capabilities-based assessment and rifle lethality. We looked at the optics we're now fielding. We're no longer using iron sights. We use a one by eight squad common optic. Before that, it was the RCO, but the rifle qual never changed. 
Mm-hmm. Even though we were given better capability, we were given free-floated rails and M27s now pure-fleeted and better optics, but now it's still just hit black. So you had experts. Everyone was an expert. Heck, when I give you a, a, a one by eight powered scope and I'm asking you to hit targets between three, 300 meters, primarily a few at 500, you know, you're going to be an expert. And they're not moving. Yeah. No, yeah. and they're not. Moving. So we changed it. And uh, so now it's, it's suppress, neutralize, and destroy. If you miss the target, you don't get points anymore. You don't get rings of, well, it's good that you shot at it. You missed, but you didn't miss that bad. Mm-hmm. So why not I'm still going to give you points, you know? So the majority of the course of fire is now when you miss, there are no points. You've got scopes, you've got things. And if you miss the destroy, suppress, neutralize, or destroy, you miss the, you know, shot placement's been the key to five, five, six. So if you don't place your shots correctly into those kill zones, you also get a reduction of points, even though you may have hit them. You know, in the days of iron sights, all you had to do is hit the silhouette. Yep. Hit it, you got your points, you moved on. You know, now you have to do shot placement, but it's because we have better rifles mm-hmm. and better options. Mm-hmm. So training had to change, and it's a higher standard. If I tried to do this with iron sights at 500 meters, this would almost near at three and 500 meters, nearly impossible. Yeah, um, be really, really, really good. Now we're training Marines to use their gear, play shots appropriately, and create better lethality with the five by six round. So the infantry Marine marksmanship, the infantry marksmanship assessment, was built off from. Um, modules that came from there and I, it gets into the train yeah uh, during that time we looked at advanced training advanced is just more speed and accuracy what's what's advanced marksmanship you're faster and more accurate mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's advanced uh, so we created and I, and I boldly sold this title general mental skills training from dr karen kelly she was doing experimentation over resilience um with the uh, basic reconnaissance this transcended over to marksmanship because we owned the class. We owned the class called Combat Mindset, and it only covered the, Coop- the, the Cooper's color code. Yep. I'm like, man, we're getting into human performance. We know so much more about the person. We got to get beyond this. We got to go further. We mm-hmm. have to take Combat Mindset and create resilience using the vehicle marksmanship. We have to create the ability to perform under stress to recover. So the annual we ran this course. A, a, a special operator came in and told us, in 15 days, I can do what you can't do in four years. So of course, when you you know, it's like, all right, show us. Yeah, so, hustle your evidence. <laughs> yeah, so in 15 days, this course was brutal, though, Ryan. I'll tell you, it's a, it's tough, it's hard, but it's what Marines joined the Marine Corps to do. Um, 15 days, no sleep, a lot of accountability, you know, a lot of force on force, individual dueling and mm. fighting all night long. Um, but in 15 days, he created a savage, and I, we we all stood back as Marines and went, well, I mean. We're having improvements in some areas at 500% marksmanship performance improvements against opposition based. So against an aggressor, you had to fight them moving and and doing what you needed to do to win the gunfight. There were improvements over 500%. We sent it to DCCDI, General Berger at the time, and General Neller saw it. And uh, they're like, more of it, but I need two things. One, are you hurting them? Because I mean, it's a brutal course. And number two, are are you creating PTSD in the student by how stressful it is. So we had a psychologist, psychiatrists, physiologists, everyone come back after uh, phase two of the, the training and all those were thrown out there. We weren't creating PTSD in a student. We weren't hurting them. All wounds were superficial, healed in three to four days. Um, but the outcome was amazing. Mm. But what was better is, as you know, Ryan, when you go through tough, hard training and you come back, that means something to you in the trenches. Oh yeah. You look at your peers and go, I dare you to do that. Mm-hmm. I dare you to go do that, become gunfighter qualified at that course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dare you. 
And that's now, how do you go to that course? Or is that now built in? You know, they took the modules from that training, the marksmanship stuff, and that's what trans transferred over to what's built around the IMA or the advanced marksmanship training program. Um, we're still studying the human performance side. Um, that hasn't been integrated. When General Alford saw it when he was the, the CG of training command, he jumped right on it. Can I do this now? Can I put this in infantry training right sure, this second? Sure. It's amazing. Um, the answer was no. We still have work to do on it, uh, but we need some dedicated focus on it. Uh, but man, Ryan, those Marines that come out of it, they're savages. Nasty, huh? Well, that'd be great. And and so, but do we have, um, with the new commando course as it sits now, does it have these updated marksmanship um, quals in it? Or is it just updated marksmanship training? As of now, it has these new standards. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot more shooting and moving, a lot more moving targets, a lot more what you know combat is. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Not only are you moving because you have to to stay alive, but the enemy's moving because they're trying to stay alive. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot more of that, and it's only going to get better. We have a new simulator out there that we're looking at. I don't know what the Marine Corps is going to choose. I'm not an acquisitions person, mm-hmm. but I, so I can speak to capabilities out there. Bircher does a good job. Conflict Kinetics with Gunfighter Jim does a great job. So there's simulators out there today mm-hmm. that the Marine Corps Operational Test and Evaluation Activity, Mikatia, did a study. And these new simulators today, the outcome is after two weeks of training in the simulator, or doing equivalent live fire training, the, the Marines in the simulator perform better yeah. at a final validation live fire event than those did on the live fire events. Yeah, I've actually used the conflict kinetic system uh, multiple times. I, I have some buddies that are, you know, in the company and run the company and have the things. And we just had um, we just had a system out at our VFW uh, for an anniversary party, and we set up like a team trainer to just show, you know, that the company did, not we, but the company did. And I've used that. And like, if I could have that and regular infantry squads could come there whenever they wanted, not whenever they wanted, but they could square that training away, go to the gunfighter gym, run their squad through weaponized PT, and then, and then run them through uh, cognitive processing and A's, ones and pluses. And then I can watch their lethality me as a squad leader i can see who's faster and who's more accurate as a shooter i can map my whole squad better that way like that is something that is needed and i'm excited about it. like that's something i'm excited about and passionate about because if you have that as a squad level or at the platoon level you can really b- build teams differently um yeah. and, and, and more lethally brian when it came to the gunfighter gym one they have multiple these, these simulators now have um, patents in human performance, like you talked about. I mm-hmm. can map the human performance. I can do neural overrides and make it faster. I can do things in human performance that we've defined. Now you can do them in simulators and really get your guys and girls moving, get your Marines moving. Um, but what also makes it interesting, the 75th Range Regiment, they had one, and they put a QR code up on the bulkheads of the barracks. So the squad leader could just go by with his phone, scan the QR code, and a schedule would pop up. Boom. He could schedule his own squad to go to that simulator at his time and just inform his chain command, hey, my squad's going over to Gunfire. All because it was all placement in the barracks, QR code, schedule it yourself, get in there and run small unit training. These simulators now are there. I'm excited That's about us. being in there because you can, as being a squad leader, you can imagine you just walk out, QR code, put your schedule in, tell your team commander when you're bringing your squad and just get after it. That's that's where it's at. 
That is where it's at. And you think that's where we're heading? Is one of these systems going to be procured for standardized training? Right now, they call it the uh, the Advanced Small Arms Lethality Trainer ASALT program. Marcus hmm. will be will be doing their down select. I don't know. I'm not involved in that. I just okay. know timelines and POAM. You know when we expect to see whatever it is that they down select to our our acquisitions folks. Um, and and when we begin IBX 2.0, the Infantry Battalion Exercise 2.0 for mm-hmm. left, you can certainly be guaranteed that that whatever the service provides and that simulated capability will be used and studied. Are we making more proficient, more resilient, more more capable Marines by using these simulators? Um, and I, I think hypothetically, that question will be asked. And of course, due to the experience I have, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I think the answer is gonna be yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's crazy what all is going virtual. And I think there's something to be said about virtual reality. However, until we can get it small enough, like it's a pair of goggles or glasses, then it's not going to make sense because you're not going to be able to mount a weapon or stock weld. It's it's going to take a little bit of that away. I think there's definitely situations you could put people in, though, in virtual reality, you know, with a headset, probably to get to a VO2 max to scare them, uh, to make them nervous, get them in these uh, close combat situations. And you inundate somebody with that and they realize how to do that. I mean, it goes back to on combat and on killing you know, by Grossman, if you do the right training and you show them what it's going to be, then they will be able to slow themselves down and think about that better when they're actually in that situation instead of just being all the way up because it's something they've never experienced before. And so I think virtual reality is going to be good for that. But some of these other, you know, these team trainers, the CK stuff, I'm excited about all that because that's stuff that as a squad leader, if I had that opportunity, that capability at that time, I'd have been all over that. Especially yeah. at Lejeune, where you can't just square ranges away like you can at yeah. some other places. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Ryan, right off the top, you know, it's my warfighters asking me for it, you know, and, and as a, a CWO5 gunner, you know, if I'm not listening to my sergeants, you know, how disconnected am I? Mm. So I have a bunch of Ryan Rogers out there going, Gunner, why the heck don't I have the advanced small arms lethality trainer, whatever that is? And they would choose it. They're bringing their Marines to it. They mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Now, how many times did Ryan Rogers ask, can I go to the ISMIC? <laughs> not no not very not very many yeah. times exactly yeah. right yeah. um now our capabilities have gotten it to the point where our warfighters are asking for it they've been mm-hmm. in it they're like wait a minute this isn't this isn't the ismet i saw at recruit training or or did some work at the school of infantry and then i got to the fleet and i just don't see the relevance in it um i want this give me more of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well look i have uh I have admiration for that and the systems and the companies that are making them. I'm, I'm sure that we'll get to a point, you know, something will get procured and, um, and we'll get to a point where the Marines are training like that, like that all the time. And that's second nature. And that's just going to make them more dangerous. It's going to make them more savage quicker. Um, and, and some of the weaponized uh, PT training that I've seen in those systems is brutal. Like you're going to get slayed in there and then you're going to get thrown into a situation on time. And you're going to have to perform and you, but doing that in the rear makes doing it in, in country easier. And that's the whole, um, that's the whole goal, right? Uh, we've been going for about an hour and six minutes. Is there anything else that, uh, that I have failed to mention or failed to bring up that you find important and, and I'm open to anything. We'll keep moving, but you've pretty much answered the questions that I had, uh, coming into this about force design and commando at this point. Yeah, no, Ryan, I think I think the emphasis really is is the investment in the individual. You know, mm-hmm. we know that the Marine Corps, there was just a study out, I just posted it on LinkedIn that 
that the Marine Corps has still been rated as, as strong compared to our other services. And it's because General Berger hasn't, hasn't lost sight of what makes the Marine Corps special. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of debates, as you see the, the, the debates going back and forth, and we're going to destroy the Marine Corps and its culture. Believe me, from what I've, I've been exposed to, what I've been a part of, that culture's only get stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be certain parts. Do I need, do I need my cyber, cyber warrior to go through recruit training if they're, if they're, uh, if they're coming from Google? You know, I, I, I may never see that individual. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to throw a Marine Corps T-shirt on them and make sure that I have coverage. So when I maneuver across a, 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 a multi-domain battlefield, he is providing the cover I need, who I may never, ever see. Yeah. Right? He's providing the coverage I need to move with those teams that are going to close with and kill the enemy. And for those folks that are closing with and killing the enemy, our cultures only get stronger. The standards have gone up. The technology we're providing them is absolutely amazing. Um, so as we continue to march towards the, the commandant's intent, his vision to what we need to be, man, Ryan, I'll tell you, it's the stuff you wished you had in, in Marja, stuff I wished I had in Marja. Um, and, and I cannot wait, you know, uh, one of the, one of the smartest things you ever said is I want a machine between, between the enemy and, and any individual Marine make that happen. I don't want to send a land school, be the first thing into a room, into the danger area. I no longer want to see that. And that's mm-hmm. a moral commitment at the lowest level. But that's what the technology will do at the tactical edge, right? Mm-hmm. But what we are truly concentrating on, Ryan, I'd really like to make sure we emphasize as we go through this, is our focus on the individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are truly with human performance and training. The true investment General Berger has told people to do and where we're going to go, you're going to start seeing the advanced infantry train battalion experiment with new enhanced squad leader courses and things of that nature. Um, stand by. Stand yeah. By. Oh, it's a strong force, man. Excited about it. Excited about it. And so, so a lot of my, uh, a lot of my audience, or, or a lot of my push is to the NCOs. The NCOs, in my mind, in my estimation, in my experience, are the backbone of the Marine Corps, uh, the backbone of the infantry fighting down. If you could look into the camera and tell those in, in NCOs something, what would you say to them? You, you know, that the NCO has even become more important. You know, we see the maturity of rank being added um, in the the future design. You know, staff sergeant, squad leaders, E7 platoon sergeants, because they're expected to operate under a commander's intent, operate independently, operate in a dispersed environment, and win. And so there's a lot more to being alone and unafraid. That's not what it is. It's how these young leaders are going to be able to coordinate with their left and right and hire and ensure that they have the layers of mutual support and the capabilities within their mission that whoever they run into, and they're going to dominate it. So mm-hmm. I, I would be so excited right now to be an NCO. And I think that's why we met our, we exceeded our retention goals this year mm-hmm. because of the focus on the NCO. The NCOs are feeling it. They know it. They can see it. They can taste it. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, what an exciting time to be an NCO right now to go from corporal to staff sergeant during this phase, seeing all this emphasis on, on me and my capability and my training and my education and then giving me a little bit of the freedom. Mm-hmm. to let you be the leader you're asking me to be just an yeah. exciting time right yep amazing amazing and for for the for the warriors in the ranks that say you know like me before well once you get to platoon sergeant you're moving away from the action you got your chance to stay stay right in it now for for a, for a while longer in the regular infantry so that's cool that's like kind of i see the romantic side of that for the warrior side um uh Gunnar LaRosa, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I'm honored to have you on the show. I, I appreciate you coming on and uh, kind of from the horse's mouth, the person that's on the task force traveling around, gauging lethality, um, um, p- 
publishing articles for me to guys like me to read so we can kind of stay in the loop. But uh, uh, I appreciate what you do. I appreciate what you've done for this country and your patriot. And um, and it was guys like you that I looked up to for my career going through to try to, you know, emulate throughout my life. And I don't imagine that's going to stop when the uniform comes off. So it didn't for me. So um, I appreciate you being here. Maybe we can get a uh, link back up in the future uh, as things begin to develop and and such, but um, but I really appreciate having you on and, and having the words of wisdom out there. Yeah, no, Ryan, the privilege is all mine. You know, I, I like to remind folks that out there, you know, watching your podcast, reading your book, when you meet Ryan Rogers, when America, you know, when, when it's time to close with the enemy and someone screams go, um, there's the Ryan Rogers that are closing with the enemy. That last 100 meters, enter the compound, clear it, hold that ground, call sovereign American territory while you continue to move forward. So it's a privilege and honor for me to be here with you because of what you're doing and that that model that you've passed on and those Marines are doing it today. You know, when we say go, it's it's Ryan Rogers that did that. Well, I appreciate those words, sir. That's kind of you. Um, and I appreciate your time. Guys, that's all we got for today. We're going to let it go there. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Gunnar LaRose has things he'd rather do on a Sunday uh, to get after it. But um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And like I said, uh, follow, like, share, subscribe, and push this information out, guys. Let's let's uh Let's merge together and come together on this uh, on this topic and then full steam ahead. If we're together, nobody can stop us. Uh, choices, not chances. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Gunnar LaRose is uh, off the hook. What an interview that was. I'd looked forward to uh, getting that interview for a minute. And to be honest with you, it all stemmed from, you know, some LinkedIn communications and some articles that he had published. And I felt like that we could bring that you know, bring the two sides a little closer together through, uh, through the interview process. So I hope that worked. Matt, what did you take away from the interview, man? Great episode. Great interview. Of course, gunners have always been near and dear to my heart just because my uncle, um, a All lot right. of, Mar a lot of Marines don't even know about gunners and that they're, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too bad, but, uh, I mean, basically God in the Marine Corps is what they are in my opinion. <laughs> but um dude how marine corps is it to be to get drunk on spring break and then join the marine corps after watching full metal jacket yeah Thoughts? i mean that's classic <laughs> classic <laughs> classic there were, there were certain men that were made to do this job that's how it happens and then of course he has to go on in his first enlistment and request leave to go to jail after beating the hell out of some people i mean Again, classic, classic <laughs> gruntism. And his first sergeant had his back, which was awesome. So and CO too, yeah. I was um, that was a cool story. That was a that was a heartthrob story for like regular regular infantry guys that you know that that maybe can relate to that. And I know there's a lot of guys that can't relate to that that maybe didn't get that same treatment uh, in our age. But uh, definitely cool to hear that at his uh, you know from his time. Right. Um. Yeah. Go ahead. And then uh, you know. I don't want to be the last Marine killed in Afghanistan during the pullout. That was a, I kind of, it kind of got me there, you know? Yeah, for sure. It, 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 it's one of those things, man. I think, um, I know <laughs> you and I had talked offline about, you know, this kind of stuff before, you know, nobody wants to be last, but you damn sure don't want to make it like six and three quarter months through a deployment and then get snipped. Like you did all of that shitty you know, fighting in hell to get clipped right at the end. No, you know, and, and nobody maybe verbalized it with us, but it was definitely on the minds of people, especially going out, you know, that last week still having to go out and get after it, even when your relief is inbound. And, um, 
I think guys think about it. I don't know that, you know, I don't know that everybody thinks about it. I, I don't think I thought about it too much, but, um, uh, you know, I heard it around the platoon a little bit. So I think guys can relate to that for sure. And then you talk about not just closing out a platoon or, you know, a, a platoon deployment or a company deployment, battalion deployment. Now you're closing out the entire war. Right. So I'm sure the gravity of that is, you know, that adds, adds a little something. Sure. For sure. Um, I thought, go ahead. I was just going to say, I thought in the very beginning, just his, uh, his catalyst almost to service was an awesome story, you know, to, you know, watch his mom struggle and then make the right decisions to do what she had to do to make, you know, better family environment. And then Mary's a Marine, you know, uh, having that Marine impact his life and, you know, teach him and allow him to grow up. And then, you know, ultimately when Beirut gets hit, he talks about how that affected his father that some, you know, you know, 30 some years later, whatever it was to the point where, you know, only other time he ever seen him cry. And it's like, um, we talked offline about how H Kaya and, you know, the, the fall of Kabul kind of did that to a lot of our generation, just took the wind out of your chest. Like, what are we doing? Uh, kind of thing. And, um, you know, we're losing people on a massive scale that nobody's seen coming. It hurts. Like you feel that still. And maybe that's the cultism of the Marine Corps. Or maybe that's, uh, you know, I think it's more of the warrior, uh, the warrior class or the, uh, you know, people that have been there and done that and they understand the gravity of it. And, and, uh, I think it just hits a little bit different. So to have that and say, I want to have that, that's the love that I want to experience. Right. Um, to me was an amazing, you know, testament to, you know, who he was and who he was to become. To be there because they're there. Right. Uh, sounds familiar, huh? <laughs> that's it. Uh, didn't know who was going to be there, but I knew I was going to have some brothers. That's right. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, I thought. Yeah, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Um, the th uh, two things, two last things. Uh, you know, not posting the training, not the videos, the pictures, and and all that. It's something that we didn't really. I mean, social media was a thing, but it wasn't as big as it is today, and. Um, I mean, heck, mm -hmm. cell phones have only made that a lot easier. We had cell phones when I was when we were in, but I mean, you could barely even get on Facebook on them cell phones half the time, you know, depending mm -hmm. on your on your connection, on your data connection. So yeah, just a big point for uh, for the NCOs, the guys, the opsec, the opsec. But if your Marines see you doing it, they're gonna do it too. Something to remember. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and then he he brought up not uh, denying the GPS and learning the map. And for me, that struck a chord so heavy because we did so much land nav. And I mean, we came in, they had GPSs, but they weren't used like we did on deployment because we did end up mm -hmm, using mm -hmm. them quite a bit, but we always plotted our, we plotted our, our routes on our maps, carried them with us. And that was our backup. And if you can't plot, an eight digit grid with a mat with a comp uh, a protractor and figure out where you're at with a resection or some terrain association you're probably not going to do too good in certain uh certain climbs and places um and you got to be able to especially like the pacific climbing places right or alpine forests or what have you you sure. know so 
Not that we've yeah, operated in either of those, but we can imagine. And we, yeah, but, but we've w- talked to enough people to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what did what did they say? The gunner said uh, we never get the war we want. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, no. that's all I had. I mean, just great episode. Yeah, man. No, um, excited to get it out there. Excited for you guys to. Uh, hopefully, this you know, hopefully this served as you know a way that we can bring the two sides together. At the same time as we respect and we honor our forefathers, um, there is research that has went into this and new weapons on the field that make this the way. And um, and we need to come together and make this the way, you know, together. Um, I appreciate you guys, you guys for coming out. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe, hit the little bell if you're watching on YouTube so you know when all new content comes out. And uh, I hope you took something away from this episode, guys. Till next time. Thank you. Thanks. Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger. We have all the brands, both in the store or at louisianagunshop.com. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a funny. Yeah. Funny.